From Upstate Medical University in Syracuse, New York, I'm Amber Smith. This is HealthLink on Air. Modern medicine does not have many examples of a dietary change that can be more effective than a pharmacological treatment, but today we'll explore one with Dr. Nicole Brescia. She's an assistant professor of neurology and of pediatrics at the Upstate Golisano Children's Hospital. Welcome to HealthLink on Air, Dr. Brescia. Thank you so much for having me today. Now, you're a pediatric neurologist and you specialize in the treatment of epilepsy. So before we talk about dietary changes, um, I'd like to ask you to explain what this disease is. How, how common is epilepsy in children? Absolutely. So if you look at the whole general population, epilepsy is about, is about 1% of the population. Okay. It occurs and about 1% of people. Do we know why or what causes it? So there's no one cause for epilepsy. You can have epilepsy because you have a genetic condition, you know, something that you're born with where seizures, seizures are just very common. You can have epilepsy because you had a traumatic brain injury or an infection in your brain. So, so there's a mixture. There's some kids that are born with it and some that acquire it later. The ones who are born with it, do they outgrow it? or is it something that's with you for life if you're born with it? So if you take all children who present with seizures, about 70% of them will outgrow their seizures. So that is good news, but that also means there's about 30% of kids out there who will not um, outgrow their seizures. So how is it usually discovered? How does a parent find out that they have a child with epilepsy? So the most common presentation is they'll present with a first-time convulsion. So a convulsion is the kind of seizure that you usually see on TV where people lose their consciousness and their eyes roll up in their head and they shake all over. And usually they come to the emergency room because they've never had that before. And to be diagnosed with epilepsy, you have to go through a little bit of an evaluation. There's a little bit of a diagnostic process. So not all seizures are the same. Some seizures are provoked. So that means that you know, anybody could have a seizure, really. If you have a low blood sugar or if you um, pass out suddenly and your brain doesn't get enough blood flow, your brain doesn't like that, and you can have a seizure for that reason. And if something provoked your seizure to happen, you know, sometimes people do drugs and they have seizures for that reason. If something provoked your seizure to happen, if you don't do the thing that provoked the seizure, again, you probably won't have another one. But sometimes we do a whole lot of investigation and we can't find anything that provoked the seizure. And then we call that an unprovoked seizure. And if you have two or more unprovoked seizures in your life, then you meet the diagnostic criteria for epilepsy. So when someone is having convulsions or seizures, what, what is happening in the body? What is, what is going on that's making the body react that way? Yeah, so what, I guess to answer that question, we've got to talk a little bit about what a seizure is. So a seizure is an abnormal electrical activity in the brain. And usually what it is is the normal activity in your brain is not working right, so you'll have an abnormal electrical discharge, and that will build up, and it will get faster, and it will spread to enough areas of the brain. And once it spreads to other areas of the brain that involve consciousness and movement, then usually the person will lose their awareness and they can lose their consciousness and then they can you know, shake all over. It all depends really on where the seizure starts and where it goes to. 
So it sounds like seizures can be dangerous. Can they cause lasting damage? So it depends how long they are. Um, so I usually describe it to people kind of like the stove on their pilot, their stove like that's powered by gas. You know, when you turn your stove on, it goes click, click, click. And so the little sparks are kind of like your abnormal discharges. And a little spark itself doesn't really cause any problems. You know, and even if enough sparks get together and create a fire, you know, usually if you catch a fire soon enough, you know, it'll, you can put it out and there's no problem. Um, but if the fire is allowed to go on for a long period of time, and then that's where the problem can really start. So most seizures are not dangerous. That is the good news. Most seizures are short and they stop by themselves and they last less than three minutes. Um, the person doesn't have any lasting damage. The problem with seizures is that if you have a seizure in the wrong time or place, if you lose your awareness, you know, when you're in the street, you know, you could get hit by a car. If you have a seizure and you're on top of a ladder, even if it's short, you could fall and get a really serious injury. Or if you're in a bathtub, you could drown. Um, sometimes people have long seizures, like over, you know, five minutes. And if the seizures are allowed to go on for 10, 20, 30 minutes, that's when the neurons, the brain cells can really start to have um, long-term damage from a seizure that's too long. And you know, the last reason seizures are dangerous is if you have uncontrolled seizures and uncontrolled convulsions, you're more at risk for a thing called sudden unexplained death and epilepsy, which is um, when, you know, a person with epilepsy can, you know, pass away for seemingly no reason, um, you know, at all. So that's why we take the evaluation and treatment of seizures very seriously, because they can be dangerous. Well, I want to ask you about treatment. I imagine, what do you do for someone during the seizure or someone who comes to the emergency department, you know, in a seizure, is there a treatment to make it stop immediately? So, you know, in terms of responding to seizure, it's very important. A lot of the work is done by people in, in the field and even by people who are not medical professionals. So I always tell people, you know, in the office, it's always important to know what to do if you see someone having a seizure. So I always say it's very important to remind yourself that most seizures are short and they will stop by themselves. And it's not something you have to stop the person from doing. So you have to keep that in your mind and keep yourself as calm as you can. And then you go and assist the person. So, you know, if they're, you know, shaking, they can't talk to you, you want to put them on their side and make sure their head's turned. This allows any drool or vomit to come out. You don't want the drool or vomit to get swallowed or sucked into the person's airway. Um, so that, you know, can cause an infection and other problems later. You want to... Uh, make sure that they're, you know, not hitting any sharp edges or furniture. Make sure there's no tight clothing around their neck. You don't have to put anything in their mouth. Nothing should go in between their teeth because you could chip their teeth or you could get your finger bit, and, you know, we don't want that. Um, and they're not going to swallow their tongue. And you don't need to hold them down or prevent their muscles from jerking because you could hurt their muscles or bones or make it hard for them to take good deep breaths. And then... Ideally, well, one person's, you know, putting them on their side and, you know, and watching, you know, what, and watching them, you want another person to call, you know, 911 if they've never had a seizure before. That's the reason for them to go um, to the emergency room. And the other important thing that any people could do if they see someone having seizures to time it because the length of the seizure determines what rescue medicine, if any, they need. If a person's having a seizure for five minutes or longer, or let's say they had a seizure and they came out of it, but then they went back into having another one and never quite got back to themselves in between, that would be a reason for them to get rescue medicine. And the emergency uh, medical professionals, the EMTs, they have rescue medicine with them in the ambulance usually that they give the person to stop the seizure right away. And in the ED, we have 
other medications that we use um, to make the seizure shorter and to stop it. You're listening to Upstate's HealthLink on Air. I'm your host, Amber Smith, talking with Dr. Nicole Brescia. She's a pediatric neurologist at the Upstate Golisano Children's Hospital, and we're talking about pediatric epilepsy. So for someone who's diagnosed with epilepsy, are there cures or treatments for that person? So there's no cure for epilepsy as of yet because epilepsy is caused by lots of different things. And my job as the epileptologist is to try to do is to try to understand why somebody has seizures. There's currently a lot of research going on in certain genetic epilepsies to try and, you know, fix the genetic defect that's um, causing the genetic problem and hence the seizures. But currently there's no medicine that makes your brain less epileptogenic or less likely to make seizures. At this point, our medicines are anti-seizure medicines, really. They really prevent the buildup of abnormal electrical activity in the brain. They prevent, uh, they prevent the seizures from happening. Um, but we don't have a thing that stops that process from happening in the first place. Well, I understand you got a grant for, uh, to look into a dietary program for families in the central New York region who have a child with epilepsy. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, it's, I'm very excited about it. When I first uh, came here to Upstate back in August of you know, 2019, one of the things I really wanted to do was to um, help my, our epilepsy program grow and offer um, a whole variety of treatments for people's epilepsy. So one of the things I was very interested in doing was starting something called the ketogenic diet program. So that, you know, so the ketogenic diet is a therapy for people with what's called intractable epilepsy. That is when you have epilepsy and you've been tried on two or more appropriately chosen medicines at appropriate doses and you're still having seizures. And about a third of people with epilepsy are intractable. So they need help controlling or trying to prevent the seizures from happening. Exactly, and the likelihood, once you've been on two appropriately chosen medicines at appropriate doses and you're still having seizures, the likelihood that adding a third medicine or a fourth medicine or even a fifth medicine is unlikely to give you good seizure control. So that's when we start to think about other non-medication therapies for your epilepsy, and they include um, the that includes the ketogenic diet. So let me ask you more about the ketogenic diet because I've heard of you know you see it in advertised um, at restaurants and and uh, grocery stores people eating keto or following the keto diet. Is that the same thing? Because you're talking about Not exactly. A, a, okay. Yeah, they have some similarities. So the ketogenic diet in the way that we use it here at Upstate is a medically supervised strict diet with, and the goal is to make you consume the majority of your calories from fat and a little bit of your calories from um, protein and carbohydrates. And the keto diet that you see out in popular media that has some similarities that places a lot of emphasis on eating fat, the Atkins diet had a similar plan there. But the difference is oh, most people who are following the keto diet, you know, for, you know, weight loss or to get better like sugar control if they have diabetes, for example, they usually aren't being supervised by a dietitian. They may or may not be measuring and weighing all their food. 
the ketogenic diet for the treatment of epilepsy, we treat it kind of like a medication. So, you know, the first thing that we usually have to do is see if you're a candidate for it. So we have to decide, like, is this person intractable with their epilepsy? There are certain genetic conditions where a person doesn't break down fat appropriately, so they wouldn't be good candidates for this diet. Um, you know, but if you don't have any any of those genetic conditions, then and you have medically injectable epilepsy, then you could potentially be a candidate for this diet. And what patients do when they meet with me is we talk about that and we get you know some special labs to see if to make sure they don't have any of those conditions that would preclude them from being a participant. And then if all that checks out, then they go and they meet with our dietitian, and the dietitian um, talks to them about how their you know diet will be changed. And it's kind of like a medicine. You know, when we start a new medicine, we never start people full force on a medicine. We always start a, a lower amount, and we go up bit by bit, and we use only at the amount we need to control the seizures. The diet is similar. The diet usually starts out, you know, with one meal a day that's made in this ketogenic fashion, and then they slowly go up to two meals a day and then three meals a day until they reach, you know, their their goal. So how does it work? How, if if the uh, emphasis is on fat, what does the fat do that affects the seizure activity? Yeah, it's very interesting. This has been in the works for a long time. So if you look back to ancient Greek times, like Hippocrates, you know, he would prescribe fasting for people with epilepsy. And, you know, later on in biblical times, you know, the like ancient, you know, um, Christian physicians did similar things where they would say, if you have seizures, you have to fast and pray. And they kind of noticed that when people did that, their seizures got better. So, but they didn't really understand why it worked. They just knew that they, it did. And then in the 1930s, um, the this diet came back into, um, came back, you know, as a treatment potentially for epilepsy because in the 30s, we didn't really have medicine yet um, for, you know, for seizures at that time. So the ketogenic diet in the 30s was one of the main um, stages of treatment. And what it does is when you are, when you either don't eat or you are made to eat mostly fat, your body is made to live off of these molecules called ketones. Normally, we, we make energy from glucose or sugar. Um, but if you're starving, if you don't eat, you break down fat and you live off of ketones. And or if you eat just fat, you'll mostly burn the fat and you'll make ketones. And when the brain is made to eat ketones, a lot of things happen. The brain becomes less epileptogenic. There's less inflammation in the brain. There may be a role um, in having very steady lower blood sugars that also is as an anti-seizure effect. We know that, that it affects a lot of different things in the body and the brain, but there, we haven't quite nailed down what exactly about the ketogenic diet is anti-epileptogenic. Interesting. You know, or what prevents the seizure. And yeah, it is interesting. There's a lot of research going on to try to nail that down, looking at different small molecules that would ideally mimic the effect of, of eating, eating fat and using ketones without necessarily having to change your whole diet, but that that research um, hasn't reached the clinical side yet. So I know you said this is really designed for someone with intractable or uncontrolled seizures, but would it be recommended for anyone with epilepsy or would someone see benefit from it even if they have epilepsy, but it's pretty well under control? So if your epilepsy is controlled, 
you know, on a medicine and you're not having any side effects from your medicine, then I wouldn't recommend that you pursue the ketogenic diet because the diet itself is a big commitment. You know, you're committing to changing how you eat, possibly how your family eats, and also weighing and measuring your food um, every day. It affects how you eat when you go out to restaurants. What are some of the popular high-fat, low-carb foods that kids might eat if they're following a ketogenic diet? Yeah, so strawberries are keto-friendly, so usually we have our patients eating a lot of strawberries. Usually uh, chia seeds are also very popular, like chia seed pudding made with those little seeds that kind of look like poppy seeds and uh, coconut milk, they make a very delicious pudding. So there's a variety of products derived from coconut, chocolate, there's a lot of really great chocolate coconut desserts out there. So um, there definitely is a lot more awareness and there's a lot more you know, technical food wizardry out now that makes eating the diet a lot more palatable, a lot you know, easier for kids and families to do and to enjoy. Have you seen it be effective? Has it worked? Yeah, so in my time here, we've been building our program bit by bit, and the, the kids who I have on the diet so far are responding you know, favorably you know, to it. Um, one of my patients spent months in the hospital last year because his seizures were very hard to control. They were back to back. You know, he spent his Christmas and his birthday in the hospital. And finally, I said, you know, enough is enough. I think we need to move on and do the ketogenic diet. And we, we did. We converted him over to it. And this year, he was able to spend Christmas at home, Thanksgiving at home, his birthday. So and his seizures aren't totally gone, but and that happens sometimes. And our goal isn't necessarily to make every single seizure go away. Our goal is to try to get the seizures under best control as we can. And I do want to make make one last point. The only reason why somebody would pursue the diet if if they weren't getting good results with their with you know one or two medications. The other reason to kind of pursue the diet early would be if you had a very specific kind of genetic condition that would prevent your brain from using glucose. I have another patient like that. Um, they have a mutation where their brain cannot transport glucose into, um, into the brain cells. And so because their brain isn't getting energy, they're very, they make a lot of seizures, and, this, and they're very hard to control. Medicine isn't really working to control it. Once we found out he had that mutation, um, I said, you know, that in, this, in your case, that is the first-line treatment. The ketogenic diet is the first-line treatment for somebody with a specific genetic mutation. So sometimes it is the first-line treatment, and we don't bother treating people with medicine first. But for the majority of people, we usually will treat medicine first because medicine's work for most people with epilepsy, and we reserve the diet for those who are intractable. I know that you treat children as a pediatrician, but are you aware of whether this diet is being used in adults also? Yes, where I did my, my neurology training, we had adult patients meet with dietitians there as well to talk about the different options um, for dietary therapy to improve seizure control. Now, if you if one of your patients is following this diet, do you recommend the whole family follow it or follow aspects of it? Is it safe for someone to follow this if they're not epileptic? So usually families don't you know, make that choice. It's not dangerous for someone to eat ketogenic food, but you know, for most people, but usually I do want people to kind of talk it over with their medical provider 
if they're going to pursue the diet with, you know, their child just to make sure that there's no other underlying conditions, you know, like diabetes, for example, where tight sugar control is really important just um, so that they can get the okay to go ahead. And also, you know, the diet itself sometimes does have some side effects as well. So I usually want people to be aware of that, you know, like constipation. And so there, you can um, have some difficulty getting some minerals and vitamins. So very often our, pa our patients also need to be on uh, vitamin supplements as well once they get fully titrated onto their diet. So you mentioned that, you know, some children outgrow their seizures. So just because they're on a ketogenic diet now doesn't mean they'll need to be on it for their entire lives. Is that right? For the most part, that's true. If you have that genetic condition like my patient where they can't transport their blood sugar into their brain, then they're going to be on that diet for life because their, their genetic condition isn't going to go away anytime soon. But for most people, we treat the ketogenic diet like a medicine. So usually what we'll do is we'll see how you're doing on your diet after three months of being on your full, you know, diet regimen. And if the diet is working for you and your seizure frequency has reduced, you're not having as many seizures, then we'll follow you for about one to two years on the diet. And if your seizures have remained in good control, then we'll try to taper you off the diet, you know, kind of like how we would do with a medicine. How would people connect with you if they hear this interview and they want to consider a ketogenic diet for a child who has epilepsy? Should they get a referral through their primary care provider or is there another way to connect with you? There's multiple ways to get in, get in touch with us. The best way, if your child already has epilepsy, then a good place to start is to talk to the their neurologist and you know see if they have the infrastructure like access to a dietitian who could help them with the diet and also to see if their child would be a candidate for it and then you know if they're here in the upstate new york area the neurologist can you know put in a referral to us to have them evaluated for the ketogenic diet their primary care doctor can refer them to us as well if they don't have a neurologist yet and the other thing that can be helpful is to go to the charlie foundation so that's a website that is a nonprofit organization that provides training for hospitals to uh, do the ketogenic diet, and they have a lot of resources, and they also have a lot of really great information about the diet and, you know, ways to find out if there are providers in your area um, um, who can evaluate you and start you on the diet if you're deemed to be an appropriate candidate. You called that the Charlie Foundation, C-H-A-R-L-I-E? Yeah, C-H-A-R-L-I-E. Great. Thank you to pediatric neurologist, Dr. Nicole Brescia from the Upstate Golisano Children's Hospital. I'm Amber Smith for Upstate's podcast and talk show, HealthLink on Air.